Hello, everybody. It's June 12th. This is the One Year Bible Tour Guide podcast. My name is David McAdam, pastor and Bible teacher at New Life Community Church in Concord, Massachusetts, and I am pleased to serve as your tour guide as we read from today's passages in the Old and New Testaments in the One Year Bible. As we read through the history in the Old Testament, understanding God's goal to redeem for himself a people from every tribe and tongue, over whom he will reign as Lord of all, we see that along the way we are being given hints of the kind of kingdom he is after. He will establish his rule in righteousness. He will deliver a reign of peace, having conquered all of his foes. We have a slight foreshadowing of this kingdom as we read of Solomon, David's son, when he comes to the throne. The leaders of neighboring nations will find Solomon's kingdom awe-inspiring, breathtaking, saying in amazement, the half was not told me, All of this anticipates the glorious reign of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, we will see once again how the Holy Spirit leads the early church in the work of evangelism. These divine appointments, such as we will read about with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, inspire us to trust God for His gracious aid as we seek to tell others about the great things He has done. Let's go to today's passage in 1 Kings chapter 9, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. The Lord appears to Solomon. As soon as Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord, and the king's house, and all that Solomon desired to build, the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time, as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your plea, which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house that you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, if you walk before me, as David your father walked, with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you, and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised David your father, saying, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. But if you turn aside from following me, you and your children, And do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them. Then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them, and the house that I have consecrated for my name I will cast out of my sight, and Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And this house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone passing by it will be astonished and will hiss, and they will say, Why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? Then they will say, Because they abandoned the Lord their God who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore the Lord has brought all this disaster on them. At the end of twenty years in which Solomon had built the two houses, the house of the Lord and the king's house, And Hiram, king of Tyre, had supplied Solomon with cedar and cypress timber and gold, as much as he desired. King Solomon gave to Hiram twenty cities in the land of Galilee. But when Hiram came from Tyre to see the cities that Solomon had given him, they did not please him. Therefore he said, What kind of cities are these that you have given me, my brother? So they are called the land of Kabul to this day. Hiram had sent to the king a hundred and twenty talents of gold. And this is the account of the forced labor that King Solomon drafted to build the house of the Lord and his own house 
and the Millo, and the wall of Jerusalem, and Hazor, and Megiddo, and Gezer. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had gone up and captured Gezer, and burned it with fire, and had killed the Canaanites who lived in the city, and had given it as dowry to his daughter, Solomon's wife. So Solomon rebuilt Gezer, and lower Beth Horon, and Baalath, and Tamar in the wilderness, in the land of Judah, and all the store cities that Solomon had, and the cities for his chariots, and the cities for his horsemen, and whatever Solomon desired to build in Jerusalem, in Lebanon, and in all the land of his dominion. All the people who were left of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, who were not of the people of Israel, their descendants who were left after them in the land, whom the people of Israel were unable to devote to destruction, these Solomon drafted to be slaves, and so they are to this day. But of the people of Israel, Solomon made no slaves. They were the soldiers, they were his officials, his commanders, his captains, his chariot commanders, and his horsemen. These were the chief officers who were over Solomon's work, 550 who had charge of the people who carried on the work. But Pharaoh's daughter went up from the city of David to her own house that Solomon had built for her. Then he built the Millo. Three times a year Solomon used to offer up burnt offerings and peace offerings on the altar that he built to the Lord, making offerings with it before the Lord. So he finished the house. King Solomon built a fleet of ships at Ezion-Geber, which is near Eloth, on the shore of the Red Sea, in the land of Edom. And Hiram sent with his fleet his servants, seamen who were familiar with the sea, together with the servants of Solomon. And they went to Ophir, and brought from there gold, four hundred and twenty talents, and they brought it to King Solomon. Chapter 10 Now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels bearing spices, and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. And Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. And she said to the king, The report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom. But I did not believe the reports until I came, and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpass the report that I heard. Happy are your men, happy are your servants, who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king, that you may execute justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king a hundred and twenty talents of gold, and a very great quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again came such an abundance of spices as these that the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Moreover, the fleet of Hiram, who brought gold from Ophir, brought from Ophir a very great amount of almug wood and precious stones. And the king made of the almug wood supports for the house of the Lord and for the king's house, also lyres and harps for the singers. No such almug wood has come or been seen to this day. 
and King Solomon gave to the Queen of Sheba all that she desired, whatever she asked, besides what was given her by the bounty of King Solomon. So she turned and went back to her own land with her servants. Now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 666 talents of gold, besides that which came from the explorers and from the business of the merchants and from all the kings of the west and from the governors of the land. King Solomon made 200 large shields of beaten gold. 600 shekels of gold went into each shield. And he made 300 shields of beaten gold. Three minas of gold went into each shield. And the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. The king also made a great ivory throne and overlaid it with the finest gold. The throne had six steps, and the throne had a round top. And on each side of the seat were armrests and two lions standing beside the armrests, while twelve lions stood there, one on each step of a step on the six steps. The like of it was never made in any kingdom. All King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. None were of silver. Silver was not considered as anything in the days of Solomon. For the king had a fleet of ships of Tarshish at sea with the fleet of Hiram. Once every three years the fleet of ships at Tarshish used to come bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. Thus King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. And the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, in which God had put into his mind. Every one of them brought his present, articles of silver and gold, garments, myrrh, spices, horses, and mules, so much year by year. And Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen, whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. And the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stone, and he made cedar as plentiful as the sycamore of Shephelah. And Solomon's import of horses was from Egypt and Q, and the king's traders received them from Q at a price. A chariot could be imported from Egypt for six hundred shekels of silver, and a horse for a hundred and fifty, and so through the king's traders they were exported to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. And this ends our reading from today's portion from the Old Testament, the book of First Kings. Now, as is our custom, let's take a few moments and make some observations. The Lord answers Solomon's prayer. Second Chronicles provides us with further detail. In the book of Second Chronicles, chapter 7, verse 1, we read, Now when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. After Solomon's construction projects were completed, the Lord appears to him a second time, as he had at Gibeon. The Lord renews his promise and his warnings. He assures Solomon that he has consecrated the temple and put his name there. His eyes and heart will be there for all time. The conditions are clearly dependent upon Solomon's performance, his uprightness of heart and obedience to God's commandments. Once again, this points to the need for the obedience of the greater than Solomon, Jesus Christ, to secure the blessings of God's kingdom rule. The promise of establishing a lasting, unbroken Davidic dynasty was dependent upon Solomon's obedience. But Solomon is once again warned that if he or his descendants turned aside from following the Lord, God 
will cut off Israel from the land and make Israel an object of ridicule in the eyes of the nations. He will make the temple a heap of ruins. This is a repetition of the warning that was given in the Mosaic Covenant in Leviticus chapter 26 and in Deuteronomy chapters 28 through 30. This judgment comes to pass when Israel is taken into Babylon for 70 plus years of captivity. When the Lord refers to King David, he refers to David's integrity of heart and not to his grievous sins of adultery, deception, murder, and pride, for which he and his people paid dearly. The Lord was faithful to his covenant promise to forgive and put away David's confessed sin. Solomon rewards the king of Tyre, Hiram, for his generous provisions of cedar, cypress timber, and gold for the building projects in Jerusalem. He grants him twenty towns in Galilee. Hiram, however, was not pleased with this award, saying, What kind of towns are these? The land has since been called Kabul, meaning good for nothing. This disdain for Galilean towns was present when Jesus began his public ministry there. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? In John chapter 1, verse 46. This is also why Galilee is to be known as Galilee of the Gentiles in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 and Matthew chapter 4, verse 15. We also learn that Hiram had sent Solomon 120 talents of gold after the construction projects were complete in 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 14. Apparently, Solomon's extravagance had gotten him into debt. His wisdom was great, but limited. We learn how Solomon used those people from the nations defeated in war as conscripted labor, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, and Jebusites. We are told that the people of Israel, however, were not made into slaves. The Queen of Sheba visits Solomon and is overwhelmed. She confesses that she had heard impressive reports while in her country, but did not believe. However, she wanted to know the truth, so she came to see for herself. She also wanted to test Solomon with questions. She said, Nevertheless, I did not believe the reports until I came and my eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. You exceed in wisdom and prosperity the report which I heard. 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 7. In the New Testament, Jesus commended this event, showing that the Queen of Sheba proved to be more responsive to the light she was given than those witnessing his ministry. They were being given greater light, the light of the world, in him, and yet they showed no interest in receiving him as the expected son of David. He said, The Queen of the South will rise up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it, because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Matthew chapter 12, verse 42. At the end of the chapter, we learn about Solomon's other projects, such as the construction of his throne, his building the wall of Jerusalem, the millo, which archaeologists believe to be a stepped structure on the northeastern crest of the city, we also are told of his construction of outlying cities in Judah and cities for his horsemen and chariots. We also learn of his business enterprises, his horse trading, and his fleet of ships trading in precious metals. His kingdom was so prosperous and gold so abundant that silver was considered common or of little value. Now let's go to today's reading from the New Testament, the book of Acts, chapter 8, Verses 14 through 40. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, 
who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that any one on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money? You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water, what prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. And this is the ending of our reading from the New Testament passage from the book of Acts. Let me share a few observations. Simon Magus the Great is a celebrity in Samaria, who wowed the crowd with his use of magic. He boasted of his greatness, He's an example of one who always desires to have the preeminence. When Philip comes to Samaria and preaches the gospel, God grants him great success and many of the Samaritans come to believe and are baptized. Simon is seen to follow the crowd and appears to believe, following through with his profession of faith with baptism. But there is a question as to what Simon was believing on and there is no evidence of his repentance of sin, as he has been exercising sorcery. Even demons believe some biblical truths, in James chapter 2, verse 19. 
Many who believed Jesus' miracles failed to trust him as Lord and Savior. In John's Gospel, chapter 2, verse 23 through 25, and chapter 6, verse 66. The Samaritans who believed are not baptized in the Spirit until the apostles, hearing of their receptivity to the Word, come to Samaria to lay hands on them. When they do so, the Holy Spirit comes upon them in power. There is no reference to their being suddenly gifted to speak in other languages, but it was an obvious mini-Pentecost, and those who received the Holy Spirit knew that they had received Him. By delaying their receiving the Spirit until the apostles from Jerusalem arrived, God would be demonstrating the unity of the body of Christ, with its Jews, Samaritans, Gentiles, bond, free, male, female, young and old, all being one. They are all baptized in one spirit, into one body, with one faith, one hope, and one God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. The Apostle Peter had been given the keys to the kingdom of heaven, in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20, and he had the privilege of opening the doors of faith to the Jews at Jerusalem when he preached the gospel at Pentecost. He would open the doors to the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8 and to the Gentile Cornelius in Judea in Acts chapter 10, verses 34 through 38. This is what Jesus predicted in Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. But Simon showed his true colors when he witnessed Peter and John laying their hands on the Samaritans as they received the Holy Spirit. Simon coveted that power and offered the apostles money for it. In today's vocabulary, any attempt to purchase religious office or privilege is named after this man, Simony. Peter soundly rebukes Simon Magus because he recognizes by the Spirit the corrupt motives in his heart. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore repent of this wickedness of yours, and pray that the Lord, that, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. Acts chapter 8, verses 20 through 23. We don't know what happened to Simon, other than that he asked that Peter pray for him and that he would be spared of divine judgment. Did he ever repent and get saved? There is no reference to Simon having ever received the Holy Spirit or having believed the gospel with his whole heart. Simon was following Philip to witness the miracles and to learn how to do them. There is no evidence that he trusted the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, nor is there evidence of life change. The apostles John and Peter now have an open door to preach the gospel in many Samaritan villages as they return to Jerusalem. Meanwhile, an angel of the Lord directs Philip to go south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. There he has a divine appointment. He meets a God-fearing Ethiopian eunuch, an officer in charge of the treasury of the Ethiopian queen Candace. He happens to be reading Isaiah chapter 53 when Philip is directed by the Holy Spirit to run and catch up with the chariot. Philip offers to give the eunuch a Bible study. Philip explains that the suffering servant described in Isaiah 53 is Jesus of Nazareth. 
This is a good reminder of the life-saving purpose of Bible study. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Acts chapter 8, verse 35. As they travel along, they see water. The eunuch is eager to seal his testimony of faith with the outward act of obedience to the gospel by being baptized. This is clearly a case of baptism by immersion. Both Philip and the eunuch go down into the water and come up out of the water. The spirit suddenly takes Philip away, leaving the Ethiopian eunuch rejoicing. The next time Philip is seen, he is preaching the gospel at Azotus and in all the towns he passes as he travels to Caesarea. Now let's go to the book of Psalms, the Bible's song and prayer book. We're reading the songs of ascents or the songs of degrees that are sung by pilgrims as they go up to Jerusalem. Psalm 130, verses 1 through 8. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, for he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. De Profundus, Out of the Depths This psalm is a classic and often set to music. It is the sixth of the seven penitential psalms demonstrating what God does for people who call out to Him for mercy, particularly those who are being disciplined. Psalms 32, 38, 51, 102, 130, and 143. The psalmist sees himself as a helpless sinner drowning in the sea in need of rescue. Verses 1 and 2. We then are taken to the courtroom where he sees himself as a condemned criminal in need of acquittal. The psalmist realizes that it is only by grace that we can be made right with God. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, that you may be feared. Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4. We are then taken to the city walls, where the watchmen are posted to be on the lookout for any danger. The watchman knows that his relief comes with the morning. I wait for the Lord, my soul does wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. Psalm 130, verses 5 and 6. These verses picture expectant faith. We wait on the Lord with a solid hope in his precious promises. The final stanzas remind us of these promises. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is loving kindness, and with him is abundant redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Psalm 130, verses 7 and 8. And now we go to today's reading from the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 17, verses 2 and 3. A servant who deals wisely will rule over a son who acts shamefully and will share the inheritance as one of the brothers. The crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold and the Lord tests hearts. The first proverb we read in Proverbs 17 verse 2 
reminds us that ability is better than privilege. A servant of lowly status, who acts wisely and shows his competence, is likely to be recognized for his accomplishments and be promoted to rule over the one who was born with privileges of a son, who proves himself to be unworthy. Silver and gold are purified by fire. The dross and all that is alloy comes to the surface and is skimmed off. So the Lord will deal with and purify our hearts when we are in the furnace of affliction. He is testing our metal. May it be proved that we are being conformed into His image. It is said that the refiner removes the impurities that surface to the top of the refining pot due to the fire's heat. He removes all the dross until he can see the reflection of his own likeness in the purified gold or silver. Let's pray together. God of grace and glory, you are faithful to answer prayer. You have given us refuge and assured mercies as we cleave to the merits of your Son. We thank you that you are a good Father and that you discipline those that you love and test their hearts. You hear us when we cry out to you. You are the strong arm of rescue to the drowning man, the perfect defender to the convicted man, and the assured hope for deliverance to the watchman. With you there is loving kindness and abundant redemption. We pray that the Holy Spirit will direct us so that we will have divine appointments with hearts that are ready to hear. As we sanctify Christ as Lord in our hearts, may our tongues be ready to preach the good news of your Son. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Thank you for joining with us in our time of Bible reading. We certainly have been given a lot to think about, and I trust that you were encouraged and are being encouraged as we continue to read through the Bible in a year. And if our reading together has been a blessing to you, we ask that you tell other people about it, that we might really see the Holy Spirit working in our society as people become alive to God through faith in His Word. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. You can write us at podcast at newlife.org. And if you'd like to know more about New Life Community Church and its ministries, you can go to our website, newlife.org or newlifefinearts.org. And you can also subscribe at the website for a daily email with a written transcript of our commentary that accompanies each day's Bible reading, also with illustrations. We know that many people have found that helpful. So until next time, may the peace of the Lord be with you. Shalom.